thank you very much, everyone, for coming tonight to hear more from the Srimad Bhagavatam and to discuss the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna. Thank you. We're reading from uh, the 11th canto, and we're on uh, the uh, verse number, uh, uh, chapter 11, 11, 11, and what's the verse number? 32. We're taking up in the uh, purport where um, Krishna is enumerating the various qualities of a uh, pure devotee. Are we all on the same page then? And uh, I believe we're on number seven because we talked about Sama for quite some time the other night. Pardon me? We talked about it extensively. So the next quality that Krishna lists is Sarvo Pokaraka. Sarvo Pokaraka, everyone please say. Neglecting one's selfish, selfish desires and working for the satisfaction of others is called Parupakar, whereas causing trouble to others for one's personal gratification is called Parapakara. Don't get the two confused. They're very different. A devotee always works for the pleasure of Lord Krishna, who is the resting place of all living entities, and thus a devotee's activities are ultimately pleasing to everyone. Devotional service to Lord Krishna is the perfectional stage of welfare work, since Lord Krishna is the supreme controller of everyone's happiness and distress. Foolish persons under the influence of false egotism considering themselves to be the ultimate well-wishers of others, execute superficial materialistic activities rather than attending to the eternal happiness of others. Because a devotee remains pure and engages in missionary activities, he is everyone's best friend. Short comment that uh, in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the nectar of devotion, there are six uh, symptoms of pure devotional service mentioned by Rupa Goswami. They are that um, pure devotional service immediately, immediately frees one from material distress. It uh, begins one's life of auspiciousness. It puts one in transcendental pleasure. It's rarely achieved. Those in pure devotional service deride even the conception of liberation. And finally, number six, it's the only way to attract Krishna. These are elaborated upon by Rupa Goswami when he describes these various symptoms of uh, pure devotional service. Even as one approaches the, the path of devotional service in the neophyte stage, the, the first of them are uh, manifest. That is that pure devotional service frees one from material distress. That is explained by Rupa Goswami because there is a cause for all distress. It's good to know what that is. And it's because of ignorance. In fact, when I was doing San Francisco airport, 
airport Sankerton, meaning distributing books in the San Francisco airport. I had a booth. And I would distribute books from behind the booth, and then I'd ask people to donate. And when they'd ask me, at that time, I have a different way of explaining it now, but back then, people used to ask me what it was for. And I said, we're helping people who are suffering from a various serious ailment called avidya, which means ignorance. And um, they said, oh, that sounds really serious. <laughs> and Rupa Goswami says, yes, it is very serious. Uh, it's actually the cause of our distress. And we are, um, that is, those of us, not you, but those of us who are caught up in the material world, in the maelstrom of the material world, uh, are overcome by uh, karma. Karma really means the accumulation of samskars or impulses within the mind that impel us to act in certain ways. Because of our past, at present, we're making choices. We're impelled to make the choices because of latent impressions within our minds that cause us to choose certain things and leave behind others. Although I think I'm making a free choice, I'm not. This is karma. And I, <coughs> karma comes in various phases. As uh, explained, Rupa Goswami quotes from the Padma Purana. And he says, Aparabdha palam papam, kutam bijam palon mukam, krame naiva praliyante vishnu bhakti ratatmanam. It's like with seeds. They are uh, in seed form and then they start to sprout and then they pop up out of the ground and they have some leaves and then they ultimately bear fruit. So in the same way, there are various stages of karma that are very subtle. It's amazing how subtle it is because you may have noticed that, for instance, if you have association with somebody who has a particular habit, like likes to wake up really early in the morning and chant good rounds, then you'll start doing that too. Or at least you'll start thinking about it. And vice versa, if somebody has a, a certain meal uh, or choices, you might start thinking about them also. They like cinnamon buns for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you come home and say, I'd like to also have cinnamon buns because uh, of the subtle effect of association. And so when one takes to devotional service, there's a way in which uh, Vishnu Bhakti Ratatmanam, all of the phases of karma are uh, diminished by the power of devotional service. And they uh, <clears throat> apparently hap happen all at once, but there is a sequence explained by the uh, acharyas that if you take a thousand lotus petals and you push a needle through them, it appears that it's happening all at once, but there's a sequence that they go through one at a time. In any case, all of one's karma is destroyed by the process of devotional service. It's also confirmed in other parts of the Bhagavatam. There are famous verses f made famous by the, the great acharyas or teachers of bhakti that quote them frequently, for instance, in the teachings of 
Kapiladev Devahuti exclaims, Aho Bhattashwa Pachato Garyanya Jiva Grevarta Te Namatubhyam Te Pusta Pasteju Huvusasna Arya Brahmanatru Namagrananthiye Te How wonderful it is, Aho, that if someone chants Hare Krishna, even a little bit, even with the tip of their tongue, that they are able to destroy even uh, prarabdha karma because they become qualified to do Vedic sacrifices, which means that the pra their low birth uh, becomes purified, enabling them or qualifying them to do work that w would be done only by people with uh, higher modes of nature. The, f uh, the fact is that the, the holy name is so powerful that it uh, overcomes all of the uh, various stages of karma. And that's why when someone takes to pure devotional service, he or she f uh, feels the diminishment of, of distress quite drastically. And then he says, once one takes to devotional service, that it's the beginning of all auspiciousness. So there's a definition for auspiciousness, which is w one of the aspects of it is that one has the wherewithal to do good for all others. That's nice work if you can get it. Most people are restricted to doing hard labor for no uh, apparent reason. Uh, hard labor f with nothing to show for it at the end. In fact, people, at least in America, in the system, the way the system's set up, the medical system, insurance, and so forth, one works hard throughout one's life accumulating money, and then one becomes ill at a certain point. And until you're destitute, you don't really get any assistance from the government. So you have to pay off, you have to use all your hard-earned money just to try to save your life. I know it's hard once it starts, it's hard to stop, right? So auspiciousness, uh, one uh, is free to do good for others. Not only is one freed up from shrama or hard work for no result, means result is that you have to use the money that you earn with your hard labor to buy a wardrobe and transportation and to have a place to live so you can go out and do it again. This is shrama, hard work for no real result at the end because it all is unceremoniously taken away. I hope I'm not bumming anybody out. I know this is a family show. Um, <laughs> so when one, when one takes to devotional service, there's a way in which um, first of all, one realizes Krishna's full support. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, and it's true, that if you don't have time to maintain yourself because you're working for him and thinking of him, then he'll just personally do it for you. Of course, he's maintaining all living entities. Prahlad Maharaj confirms in his prayers to Lord Nishingadev that whatever we're getting, including our paycheck and uh, any other kind of resources, it's all coming from him. It's all Krishna's energies. He's arranging it one way or another. So 
what to speak of one who's giving one's full attention to serving Krishna. It's a lovely, intimate relationship that the devotee has with Krishna, fully depending on him as a baby, a child, fully depends on, on his mother. And it's uh, fully confident and is never disappointed by uh, Krishna's kindness. So such a person has, uh, feels un, uh, limited gratitude and wishes to share the, his or her good fortune with others. And this perpetuates the uh, feeling of good fortune in one's life. This is a life of auspiciousness. And uh, oftentimes people do philanthropy because people are generally good. We're souls. Souls are good. And they get a little bit waylaid and take a wrong turn here or there. And next thing you know, you're turned around and confused. But still there's an feeling of impetus in the heart, let me do good for others, somehow or other. But it may be misguided, because at the point of avidya, or not knowing what is reality, then one doesn't even know who oneself is. So if we have, for instance, self-interest, but we mistake what our self is, then we may not be able to help ourselves. I heard on a morning walk that a person was suggesting to Srila Prabhupada that he would like to do some work to feed people. And Prabhupada said that Krishna doesn't mention this in the Bhagavad Gita um, as a process for naturally helping people. There's nothing wrong with it. There's remnants of sacrifice, prasad, to be distributed. That's great charity. But generally people think if I can help mitigate people's suffering by rearranging or help them to learn how to exploit a little better than they're doing right now. I've put up universities so we can become a little better at exploiting the material nature. Then maybe they'll do better. But it unfortunately is... Um, not well-reasoned, and it, help, it, it, it implicates people further in the same difficulties that they have now due to ignorance. So a person who understands, not only understands, but is experiencing the direct touch of Krishna in his or her life, a feeling that uh, the more that he or she uh, gives their heart, to Krishna and in service, uh, the, the more um, <clears throat> there is abundance in their lives in the form of a um, happy mind, clear conscience, Brahma Bhuta, Prasanatman, Nashochati, Nakanshati. There's a, at the level of liberation from the, from the grip of the material nature, which happens quite naturally when one uh, does devotional service that is uh, <clears throat> described by Krishna as a time of, of great joy within the mind, prasanatma, the mind becomes so happy that uh, at that time, the, because the mind is uh, prasanatma, happy, uh, due to being free from the obligation to having to work hard in the material world just to 
maintain oneself, and then it doesn't seem to work out. A lot of rage in the world nowadays because people got the wrong information. Have you noticed that? Yeah, a lot of rage. I mentioned maybe the other night. Yeah, I think I did, so I won't do it again. So there's a way in which uh, a, a person, Brahma Bhuta, Prasanatma, when becomes spiritually minded and actually uh, feels Krishna's touch in his or her life, that Prasanatma, Nashochati, Nakangshati, then there's nothing uh, that, that he or she wants in the material world. That frees one to think about how to, do in good, how to do good for others. In fact, that's Prabhupada's prescription for controlling the mind. He said the best way to control the mind is to think about how to do good for others. Incidentally, Dale Carnegie mentions the same thing in his book, which I highly recommend to anybody who's in a stressful management position or any other, says how to, his book's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And uh, in it, he says, he, he mentions how one of the ways in which one can come out of extreme suffering is to think about how to do service for other people. It brings you out of the small, out of the confines of the small mind and the, the context of just worrying about one's body and thinking about how to do good for, for others. So Krishna consciousness uh, frees one to, to live a life like that. And uh, not only that, one is freed from envy, which means that samaksarveshu bhuteshu, one is no longer hankering after what other people have and thinking, why should they have it? I should have it. And because they're fully satisfied, they have enough. They're filled up. Atman yevatmana tushta, Krishna says, is a symptom of a, a person in, situated in self-realization. He or she is feeling satisfaction in the self. And it's not like they have to become something because they already know they are something. That's, that's so amazing that uh, Krishna says, for, for instance, in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, charyavat paschati kaschanenam ascharyavat vadadita The soul is amazing. Everyone who looks at it, who realizes there is a soul, says, wow, what is that? That's the most amazing thing in the whole world. It's the greatest show on earth or anywhere else, or, or any other planet is, is the conscious being within. That's the focus of the Krishna conscious person. And that becomes fully available to somebody who takes to worshiping Krishna because in order to see oneself, uh, first uh, one has to see one's source. <clears throat> Just like when you see the sun, you naturally see yourself when the sun comes up. Otherwise, everything's in darkness. So that's why Krishna consciousness puts one in auspiciousness immediately by uh, taking to the mood of the pure devotees and dedicating one's life to Krishna. So before I go to the next point, let's, if we can, take a few uh, reflections or questions. One, two. Okay. One, two. So this point of... Um, doing good for others. Sometimes I've heard in conversations amongst devotees that they'll say that first one should become perfected and then they can actually do good for others because if one is just struggling with 
you know, their own anarthas and their own conditioning, and they're trying to do good for others, and the, the effect that they can actually have on people is limited. And so I've always wondered on this point, because I don't necessarily completely agree with them, because in order to make advancement, we have to attract the mercy of the previous acharyas and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which are asking us to go out and extend ourselves. So how do we um, understand this point that this, some devotees make, and is it a proper understanding to begin with? Well, there's two ways to look at it. I mean, obviously, if you uh, want to speak about Krishna consciousness or teach it to others, it's helpful if you have some understanding of it. Uh, at the same time, the very act of, if, if one has a very basic understanding of Krishna consciousness, for instance, um, as Prabhupada describes, shraddha. Shraddha means Shrad means the heart and da is an active verb. It means where you place something. And so there's this sense that one has that Krishna consciousness is good. That, that awakens. These Hare Krishna people, they're good. Where does that come from? That comes from uh, Bhaktiyun Mukhi Sukriti, uh, a good fortune within the heart that one got somehow or other by association with some uh, pure devotees somewhere. And it doesn't take that much. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastri Khoi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Hoy. Even a little bit of association with pure devotees can change one's life and one's decision about what's good and what's bad. And when one starts thinking devotional service is good, that's uh, the birth of Shraddha. And someone with, with that, with a modicum of, of appreciation for devotees, can be effective in handing it over to others. We've seen it many times when people get excited about um, Krishna consciousness. Sometimes just people who, for the first time, uh, see devotees doing something and they think, this is great. I wish more people did this. When we were in Denver, we went door to door in a really poor neighborhood. Poor neighborhoods are fantastic. People just let you in their house. Prabhupada mentions this in the Krishna book. He said, "If you, in fact, we had a stark realization that night because we first went to a poor neighborhood and then we went a few blocks over and there was a rich neighborhood and upper middle class and lower middle class. Uh, there was a Viraja River in the middle, so that we, when we were first going around, we were going door to door. A lot of people having having supper. I remember I knocked on one door, and they go, "Come on in." And I opened the door and walked in, you know, with a bag of books and a dhoti on and everything. And the woman of the house kind of looked at me and she goes, how can we help you, honey? <laughs> and there are kids, they're feeding, he's feeding the kids and everything like that. And I said, you know, spiritual books and everything. And she took them. And uh, when we came out, we were in a little courtyard area and this apartment complex. And it's kind of like a projects area. And the, this one... A gentleman came from the second floor and he was watching us go door to door and he goes, listen, I'll tell you, I'll take you to all the best places. I Go to that house right there. This guy will definitely take one. He took us, remember, he took us across the street. He was walking around. Get that guy, get that guy. He's in here. He's really good. And so he, he was immediately uh, um, galvanized by the whole uh, specter of, uh, the, you know, people going around just because uh, he heard us. We're just... You know, there are very effulgent people like Tushta Krishna Prabhu and all these brahmacharis 
going around and people just get it that this is something fantastic and they want to help out. A lot of people get caught up in it and, and just it feel intrinsically that it's, it's a good idea. It's very spontaneous. And what's more, when, the, when people go out for Sankirtan, when anyone goes out, they, um, they get a natural realization. That's why I like to say that, for instance, book distribution is a high sadhana. It's a practice unto itself. It's not something that we do on the side and then we come back and do devotional service. It is hearing and chanting. In fact, it's the best kind because you have to uh, meet people and explain to them briefly at their level. And that's something you have to assess within two or three seconds what their level is. And then, then present Krishna consciousness in a relevant way so they can appreciate it. Not only does Krishna appreciate such work and he gives special consideration to those who are uh, willing to do it, but also there's a way that uh, people see the contrast between the material and spiritual world. For instance, um, when neophytes go out to distribute books, they oh, look into the house of somebody and notice that the, how the modes of material nature are working. We had this experience uh, at our laboratory in Silicon Valley where we decided to um, <clears throat> see what would happen if we got five-year-olds to go out on book distribution. So I started with five five-year-olds and a few parents to help me out. And we were going door to door, various places. And uh, <clears throat> first of all, it's wildly fun to go to other people's houses and knock on their doors. The only time kids in America get to do that normally is on Halloween. And I loved it as a kid. It's like, let's go to somebody else's house and knock on their door. But when you on Sankirtan, you're not asking for something, you're offering them something. This is, um, uh, this is uh, edifying for those who do it. Like, the kids uh, started to uh, get a taste for it. And not only that, they started to see, just as Narada did when he was a five-year-old child, remember? He, he lost his mother's house, became the funeral pyre for the mother. He went off alone. He, and he was observing how the energies of the Lord were working in the world. So these five-year-olds, they were observing. Let's see how other people live. They know how they live, and they couldn't, you know, what if you open a door and there's a lady in there that has nine cats? What does that smell like? Do you know? Well, you do if you do door-to-door sankirtan. And the kids started seeing all these things, uh, you know, what was really going on. And then Kameshwari, Devi Dasi, who helped to uh, bring the, 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 uh, the overall kids program into steadiness, and still does, it recalls how the first time she took out a group of kids and that they got rejected. Normally, people don't reject kids. They'll open the door. Ah, okay, whatever it is, I'll take it. But then one lady opened the door and goes, get out of here. <laughs> and then the, the kids were dejected. And they, uh, <clears throat> Kameshri took them to the playground within the apartment complex. They all sat down in a circle, and they processed it. And they talked about what just happened. What does it mean? What does it mean to us? Why would she say that? And in talking about it, the, the children became mature in their understanding of how the world works. It's something often a lot of PhDs don't get. 
they get a PhD, they learn how to write somewhat, and they study one topic, probably obscure topic, ad infinitum, ad nauseum, and then they get a degree, and then they're dysfunctional. Like, how do you interact with people? How do you face rejection and so forth? So my contention is that it's important for new people to have the experience of going out to distribute Krishna consciousness because uh, it is part of the process to observe the energies of the Lord, see how they work, to learn how to present Krishna consciousness to others because by doing so, you generate more questions yourself and therefore you become hungry. I was thinking this, this afternoon because I was really hungry and um, what normally seems like kind of an ordinary lunch at the restaurant, um, steamed vegetables and it was like nectar because I was so hungry and I was thinking appetite, that's really important and uh, the, the distribution of Krishna consciousness, it develops that appetite in people so that they get more curious about Krishna consciousness. In fact, I remember our first celebration of a, an outing we had at ISV and all the devotees had gone out. There were some very new people there who had gone out on the Sankirtan. When they came back, they said, um, we distributed so many of these books, we'd really like to know what's in them. And they started, immediately started a reading club amongst themselves to find out what they were distributing. The, the, it's synergistic. Both uh, hearing and chanting uh, in a group like this or a smaller group or to, by oneself is vital. We have to uh, uh, have a taste for continuous hearing. And then at the same time, uh, when we distribute it to other people, it um, helps to, it, it augments that, the, the ability to hear and chant. And we actually see the, the difference of energies outside and inside. Vidyam cha vidyam cha yas tadvedo bayam saha avidyayam ratum tirtva vidyayam ratum ashnute. Only one who can learn the process of nations and that of transcendental knowledge side by side can transcend the influence of repeated birth and death and enjoy the full blessings of immortality. And what more a stark contrast can you get besides um, having a peaceful ashram experience, well, maybe you get that too, some kind of acrimony in the ashram also. But then <laughs> you go out and see what it's like outside. Uh, last thing I'll say, but I just, for this, that at, at the Los Angeles Rathiatra, when we uh, be on the block in New Dwarka for three, four days, helping to cook, uh, getting ready festival, going to morning programs. You never leave the block. It's like being in Sri Rangam or everywhere you look, there's just a devotee. And then on the, on the, we go to the Rathiatra and we also be isolated with devotees. We're in a kirtan. We go to the kirtan site. And then time to leave. Walk across Venice Boulevard or, or the uh, Venice, board, Venice Beach uh, Strip, right? It's... Uh, if you calculate on a, a graph where the lowest modes of nature are in the whole universe, that's it. 
And so you go from being around devotees and you cross over. It's like the viraja. You go across and all of a sudden you're, you're in obviously the lower modes of nature. And the contrast, hate to use the word again, but it's edifying. There's a way in which you know in yourself the difference between the two energies. And that's really one of the most, uh, that's one of the strongest points. They're all strong. Uh, that's one of the main points that Krishna makes in the Bhagavad Gita is to know your energies. Tattva means to, to know uh, the difference between one thing and another. And so it's important to vote for devotees to go out. They have to. My experience practically, I know I said it's the last thing I was going to say, but my experience practically is that when devotees start early, people start early, they just got into devotional service, and they get around uh, those who are doing outreach, and they start doing it themselves, they develop uh, more rapidly, and they become more um, stable in the practice of Christian consciousness, and they have more longevity. That's anecdotal. We haven't done double-blind studies, but uh, that's my impression in any case. Om Tat Sat. Now, Prabhu. I liked um, the point that devotion service brings auspiciousness in one's life, and you so nicely explained um, that principle by giving the example that one can see oneself um, in the presence of sun and devotion services like sun, otherwise auspiciousness is um, not existent in that person's life. And so you also proved that point by your first-hand wonderful Sankirtan um, experiences that um, not only the recipients of the books, for example, receive auspiciousness, but also devotees who go out in terms of uh, growing up and realizations. So, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, Prabhu? So, Maharaj, um, <clears throat> um, I was fortunate to be born in India uh, in many ways, and uh, you know, one of the first things that you see. Um, as a little child when you go out is like a lot of poverty out there and um, growing up I had this struggle like you know okay we have so much religion but also we have so much poverty and um, when I grew up in the 70s 80s um, it was more like okay the West is like very materially rich and there must be something good they are doing so always had this notion of like you know everything West is best right then Many years later, when I went to America myself, um, this was a stark realization that, like, you know, the, just having a lot of money does not bring happiness. I was uh, in Los Angeles in 2006, I remember, uh, within the first two years of me being there, that I found, like, you know, people are begging there. And I realized, like, you know, it, only the skin color is different, but, you know, beggars are everywhere. Like, you know, there is poverty everywhere. And that made me realize like you know just having a lot of money does not bring happiness uh, this talk of paropkar as we are talking in this verse like you know there's a lot of notion around um, like you know we do welfare we we come up with uh, these government schemes or like you know some rich man donates a lot of money actually it doesn't really help 
And I don't know if you remember, but when I started coming to ISV a few years ago, I asked you something similar, like, you know, how is it that, like, you know, we talk about bhakti, but in reality there is a lot of hunger out there, a lot of poverty out there. And at that time you had said something which Srila Prabhupada also said, um, that, like, you know, the best welfare work is, like, you know, spreading the name of Krishna. And I feel, and this is not a question, this, I, this is a, just a comment that, like, you know, I think once we start seriously practicing that, wonderful things start happening around us. And that, you know, inspires others. And I think, uh, I think this is a wonderful thing. That's all I would say. Yay! <laughs> See, that's Shraddha. Yeah. When you have that sense that this is a wonderful thing, Shraddha Shabde Vishwas Kohe Sudhi Dhanishoy Krishna Bhakti Koila Sarva Karma Kritahoy. Definition in the Chaitanya Charitamrita of Shraddha is that you have an ever increasing feeling that everything is completed. All my uh, aspirations or duties are completed by doing bhakti. Sarva Karma Kritahoy, whatever I'm supposed to do. I can I can do by bhakti. Devarshi Bhutapna Nrinam Pitrinam Nakinkaro Nayam Nranitra Rajan Saravatmaraya Sharanam Sharanyam Kotomukundam Parihritakartam. This uh, comes Karabhajana Muni says in the eleventh canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that there's a, a way in which we're all debtors is another part of karma. Karma means debt. We've uh, we have to you have to um, exploit others to live in this world, just to eat. You have to exploit, it comes off the hard work or the bodies of others, you know, you consume. And uh, also others contribute to our, our maintenance. Um, previous generations do, animals do, people do. So we have a huge amount of debt. And the only way to absolve oneself of that is to uh, serve Krishna because He's the root of all existence. And if you water the root, then all the tree leaves and branches become naturally um, nourished. So that's something to be realized by the practice of devotional service. Okay, I'm going to read just a little bit more. Is everyone okay? Okay. All right. Here we go. Number eight. Kamer Ahatadhi. Ordinary persons see all material things as objects for their personal gratification and thus try to acquire or control them. Ultimately, a man wants to possess a woman and enjoy sense gratification with her. The Supreme Lord supplies the desired fuel that causes the fire of lust to burn painfully in one's heart. But the Lord does not give self-realization to such a misguided person. Lord Krishna is transcendental and neutral. But if one is eager to exploit the Lord's creation, the Lord gives one facility through maya, and one becomes cheated of real happiness by entangling himself in the false role of a great and lusty enjoyer of the world. On the other hand, one who has taken full shelter of Krishna is enriched with perfect knowledge and bliss, and is not cheated by the seductive appearances of the material world. A pure devotee does not follow the path of the foolish deer, which is seduced by the hunter's horn and killed. 
A devotee is never attracted by the sensuous entreaties of a beautiful woman, and he avoids hearing from bewildered karmis about the so-called glories of material acquisition. Similarly, a pure devotee is not bewildered by aroma or taste. He does not become attached to sumptuous eating, nor does he spend the whole day making arrangements for bodily comfort. The only actual enjoyer of God's creation is the Lord himself, and the living candidates are secondary enjoyers who experience unlimited pleasure through the Lord's pleasure. This perfect process of experiencing pleasure is called bhakti yoga, or pure devotional service, and the devotee never sacrifices his auspicious position of steady intelligence, even in the face of so-called material opportunity. The definition Krishna gives to Arjuna, prajahati adhakaman sarvan partam manogatan atmanyevatmanatushta stita pragnas dochite. A uh, person fixed in consciousness, says Krishna, is not uh, impelled to chase after the various uh, combinations and permutations of desire that arise in his or her mind uh, that constantly flow in because there's some object objectivity that the devotee uh, develops to see that uh, these are um, constantly flowing uh, because of the, the modes of nature into my mind, my previous impressions. And instead, uh, the devotee realizes a higher kind of happiness uh, from the self. And uh, also, in a very um, simple way, as is mentioned in the beginning, uh, the devotee feels that, uh, or sees, that everything in the universe is paraphernalia to be used in Krishna service. And this is the, the way to uh, reverse any kind of anxiety or the anomalies of life, is to uh, change one's attitude about life and the world. Shall I describe more about how to do that? Okay. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, Jeev Krishna Das Abhishwas Karlito Ortukonai. And that means that if you just come to the realization or admit that I'm a servant of Krishna, then for you there's no more unhappiness. And so, let's just say that you go to a social gathering and you feel awkward there. Is that a possibility? Yes. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like you went there, you weren't sure how to fit in? When was it? You went home for Thanksgiving? Didn't know how to relate to your family anymore? What? What? Any social gathering? It can be a little awkward. Humans are social beings, and it's hard to fit in sometimes. We're not sure what the pecking order is, who's about where you're supposed to sit, whatever. So there's a way to overcome that instantly. Would you like to know what it is? Oh, all right. It's to ask yourself, how can I be of service? So this is very practical. Let's just say you go to your, uh, a family gathering, and you're not sure how to fit in. Uh, for one reason or another. And then 
you feel awkward, you're not sure who to talk to or what mood you talk to them in. But then ask yourself, how can I be of service here? And just ask somebody who needs some help and say, how can I be of service? Can I help with something? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, you grab these, put them over there. And then all of a sudden you're on the inside. You're, you're like one of the inside peoples. Like everyone else is still awkward, feeling awkward. And you're there carrying chairs, moving them over. It's like, yeah, I belong here. I'm on the inside now. That's how you get on the inside, is you, you ask yourself, how can I be of service? Then you ask the person in charge or somebody who can empower you, say, how can I be of service? And as soon as you get a little service, awkwardness, gone. Anxiety, gone. You got a little bubble around you, and that's uh, who we are. That was the first teaching that Lord Chaitanya gave to Sanatana Goswami. He said, you're a servant. Just live in that and you're going to be happy all the time. And so that's how devotee thinks. It's a, it's a very happy life because from morning to night, the devotee's thinking, how can I do service? And then the devotee becomes fully absorbed in various kinds of service. You want to discuss that for about seven minutes? Okay, let's see if you have a question that can expand the conversation. That's a higher level of difficulty to ask a question, I know. So you get extra points for that. Or if you have a reflection, Avi Prabhu. My question is, how do we, it's, it's like switching polarity in, in electricity. Uh, sometimes when we are on stage and we do music, and then suddenly noise is there. But if we switch the polarity uh, in a particular box, immediately this, this, the, the noise is gone. How do we go from that mentality of being the enjoyer, uh, which is the sufferer also, to the position of once understood, yes, I'm a servant, how do I do this uh, practically? Thank you for the question, Abhi Prabhu, and for the analogy, too. Well, if you feel in the back of your head, everyone try it. There's a little area you might not have realized. There's a little switch back there. And as soon as you flip the switch, then you can go into service mode. <laughs> Just flip it, and all of a sudden you're in service mode. And everything changes. Just like on stage. You know, there's a box over there, and you send your your technician over there flips the switch and then it's, hey, it's everything, the sound is clean now. Although that may sound trite, it's, uh, it's, there's a way that um, we can't, it, attitude is something that can be changed. Of course, it's affected by the lower modes of nature, so upgrading one's life by learning the science of the three modes of material nature and then cultivating sattva is very important. Sattvam yad brahmadarshanam as mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam, from the, from the platform of sattva, you can uh, see spirit. You can see your own spirit, you can see other people's spirit. The difference between matter and spirit, and it's a lot easier to flip the switch, no doubt. But just uh, asking the question, learning to ask the question on a regular basis when one feels this uh, cognitive dissonance and just asking, how, how can I be of service in this moment? That can be really helpful, because oftentimes uh, where we're starting from is the, is the very moment we're in now. 
I mean, we're always starting from there. And how do you, how do you change your situation? You have to do something right now. So I've ha had these experiences where I'm, you know, overwhelmed, too many things happening, or, you know, the, the sloth of the mode of ignorance. And then I, I ask myself, well, how can I be of service right now, right in this second? So it's a, it's a consequence of habit. Yes, it's a, it's definitely a practice, but one. Th one point is, is it's, our, it's our nature to serve anyway. And so it's, it's not foreign to us, the, the concept. In fact, if you ask people if it's better to give or receive, they'll say it's better to give. In fact, I read a, a report, a, a study that was done in Canada of about 60,000 college students. They were all asked a question based on is it better to give or receive? And uh, the uh, majority, I think the vast majority, said uh, it's better to give. How do we know that? It's, it's our experience that by giving we expand and by serving we feel naturally aligned. It's also helpful to uh, get service from somebody that feels meaningful. I mean, I've seen that also. Like in the Krishna conscious movement, we have the philosophy, and then there's also practical application of it. And one of the most important aspects I've found is to have a service connection with somebody. And I say with somebody because generally we get service from somebody. Somebody who's, especially somebody who's gotten service from um, somebody who's gotten service through the disciplic succession. In other words, like, you know, there's, a, there's somebody who, who was there and got it from a person who was empowered. Like Prabhupada was, in, uh, he got service from his guru. He asked him, how can I be of service? And his guru told him. In fact, he, he even told him before he asked. Mm -hmm. The first time in Ultadunga Junction Road, before he even asked anything, his guru was offering him service by saying, you should do this. Here's some service. And later on, uh, Prabhupada reconfirmed it. He wrote to his guru and said, you know, how can I be of service? And Prabhupada says this on the, uh, on the lecture, Disappearance Day of Srila Bhaktisanath. He, he reconfirmed what he, what he told me all those years ago. He said, you should preach in English and uh, try to help people by spreading the, the Christian conscious movement in the West. And uh, if you ever get money, print books and so forth. And Prabhupada mentions that he had read the commentary from the Bhagavad Gita, uh, from Vyavasayatmika Buddhireke Hakurananda, where Krishna says that you should have one pointed attention, otherwise, your attention will be splayed in many directions. And it's related, that commentary is related to uh, getting service from. Uh, spiritual master. Uh, that relationship is based on service. So if you find somebody who already got some service, you can go there and say, can you give me a little something? Could you give me at least enough to wet my beak? And, <laughs> and, the, and it's amazing because uh, service expands. If you get a tiny bit of service, like sometimes somebody will just say, can I carry that for you? Or something, and, and then it turns into something. 
like then they show up every day and it's like it expands into something uh, that becomes your lifetime uh, program and maybe even extends into the spiritual realm when you go back to Godhead. I, I, I hate to, to ask you if, if I can give an example of in my life how what you say is, is the absolute well, Now that you said that, we insist upon it. In 1975, I was invited by Hridayananda Maharaj to go and open a temple in Colombia. And the only reference I had was a house. So I just arrived at that house in Bogota with my uh, sleeping bag and just a few dories and kurtas. And, and when I knocked the door, it took some time till they opened the door, but once they opened the door, they said, just one second. And they showed me the garage. And the place where I stayed for the first two weeks was at the garage, which was attached to a, a bathroom. And the only thing I had was my sleeping bag. And I, I recalled my state of mind. I was very happy. I was extremely happy. Although the first night I was beaten by ticks, there are in Bogota a lot of ticks, and I laughed at the situation. They had to give me some alcohol to just get rid of the hundreds of those uh, bites. And then going to the buses and distributing sweets because we didn't have anything printed and so on. So, but, but you know, every bus that was coming, it was like heaven, you know, because I'm going from one bus to the other and saying, Good, uh, good day, my name is so-and-so, and I'm coming to open a temple and so on. Never been so happy in my life. And now I have certain awards and certain activities related to my profession, and I've never felt so miserable. <laughs> but everybody thinks that, yeah, he's, he's okay, he has his tattoos and his, his, his hair is high in uh, wood glue and and, and big, uh, you know, and, and it's really miserable. This, this is the, the, the realization that one gets uh, that is, um, constitutes real wealth in life. If we have this abiding, uh, not just faith, but a clear understanding of what makes me ha actually happy. And there's, there's so many explanations behind it. One of my favorites is from uh, Prahlad Maharaj when he's praying to Lord Nishingadev and he says, uh, He says, the Lord is complete in himself. He doesn't need our service. However, uh, and then he gives the example, when you look at your face in the mirror and then you decorate your face, then the reflection in the mirror is also decorated. And then, uh, so the, the metaphor is that we're like, uh, we're, we are expansions of Krishna, or so to speak, reflections. And so when we serve Krishna, then we're naturally decorated. And if we understand that formula and uh, see that it actually works, then we can use the same sense of ambition that we have now 
for getting ahead. Does anybody have a sense of ambition for getting ahead? In the past or in the present? Most living entities are doing, they have some little chip in the game somewhere. Or, you know, a little pan shop or something that was like, I'm going to make 600 rupees today. How much did you do? You know, everyone's got some little scheme going on somewhere in the, in the universe. You look down in the ocean, we went to Belize once and we, we put on these masks and fins and we were watching the fish. And they all have a little chip in the game down there. Every little fish. They have some scam going on that, that you know, how to uh, move the sand at the bottom and it scares up some little bugs and then they eat the bugs. It's like, yeah, check it out. Look what I'm doing over here. And then, uh, you know, it extends up into kings. They have some thing where they're going to conquer land and they're going to take somebody else's thing. And everyone's, everyone's got this thing going on in the material world. And it's backwards because they're trying to control and, and get something and uh, be the master of it. So the devotees bypass the whole system categorically. They say, okay, I'm opting out of that program. No more chip in, the, in this game. I, I'm, I'm out. I'm in another game altogether. And, and you just change it. You change your whole point of reference and say, now I'm just a servant of Krishna. Not only that, I'm just a servant of Krishna. I'm a servant of the servant of the servant of the servant. A million times removed. Now you can't touch me. Prabhupada says, you become, the devotee says, I'm the servant, 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 a million times removed. And then he said, this is liberation. So that's the, the, the process through which somebody actually becomes happy in life. And anybody can do it. In fact, Krishna gives these uh, options for anyone. For instance, he, he leaves an open clause at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, Sarva Dharman Paritya Mami Kam Sharanam Braja, Hangtom Sarva Pape Pyo Mokshe Shami Masuja. So if you want to be all in on this program, Krishna says, okay, you can do it. I'll accept it. You want to go all in? That's when you just say yes. That's all it takes, really. You raise your hand really fast and go, I'm in, and like, <laughs> I'll take it. So, you know, Krishna says, Sarva Dharma Pritya So Prabhupada explained, there was a, a gentleman who, on a morning walk, and he was uh, proposing to Prabhupada that actually you would need some adhikari or qualification to surrender to Krishna. Prabhupada said, no. Here's the way it works. You're poor, and a man comes with a big bag of money. And he holds it out to you. Now you have two choices. Let's review them. Number one, it's two words. Take it. Number two, it's three words. Don't take it. Okay, so big bag of money, no strings attached. Number one, correct. Number two, there's the choices. So you could take it or not take it. So if one realizes who Krishna is, Prabhupada said, if an ordinary man comes and says, I'm going to handle all your affairs, you don't worry about a thing, what do you think? 
where's the strings? There's got, there's got to be something wrong with this. Or it, he'll probably go bankrupt halfway through and then I'll get stuck with the rest of it. He'll all come back to me. But if you read through the whole Bhagavad Gita and realize who Krishna is, he's Arham Sarvasya Prabhu, Matak Sarvam Pravartade, Iti Mapa. There's no one, he's the, or he owns everything. He's uh, the, um, uh, the Lord of everything. He controls everything. And so if he's, and he's the best friend. So if he says, you know, you can take it, then there's this exhilaration. It's like, I think I'm going to take it. You come home and say, guess what? I'm going to take it. Everyone's going, what are you going to do? You're opting out? You can't opt out. <laughs> no, no, I, I read about it. It's in this book. He actually says you can opt out. You can take it. I'm taking it. And, and once you take it, then that begins the life of auspiciousness. And you can just, you can make a declaration. In fact, you go through all the Bhagavatam, you see all these prayers, everyone's saying, I'm taking it. This is what I'm going to do. And this is why I'm going to do it. This is the prayers they're all explaining why they took it, why I'm going to surrender to Krishna. Then life becomes perfect and happy. And in the interim, I mean, having this contrast where, as you were talking about the way in which one might have a contrast, that I had this uh, experience of being all in and just fully dependent on Krishna, and you feel exhilarated and happy, like you were describing. And then you go through different phases of life where then you may have other responsibilities and then that's an opportunity to look at the two side by side and say uh, in the course of your life as you're coming towards the end of the, um, the ride here in this particular body, then you get to compare the two. So Prabhupada writes in the light of the Bhagavad that uh, missteps and uh, mistakes may not be detrimental. They may come the pillars to success because you you then become a mature individual because you have experiences of, of both sides. And it's sort of a, a, it's a, a progressive life where we become fully convinced that actually um, what I really want is to be a kind friend to all living beings. I really want to do good for others. I want to serve Krishna wholeheartedly. I want to follow in the footsteps of pure devotees. What else do you want? Name a few more things. Work with me, people. Want to help to spread the Sankirtan movement? You want a taste for chanting the holy name? You want to serve selflessly? Nothing wrong with that. Anybody else want anything else? Be an instrument of love? What do you want? Go to all the holy places? I'll go with you. <laughs> here in chant all day you, so we could sit here all night and you know name all the things that you want and uh, Krishna will fulfill our desire <laughs> yeah Prabhupada said you have a, a little place to lie down and some service and prasadam three things, and you can be completely happy. Well, uh, we
We started at 5.30, I believe, and it's almost 7 o'clock. It was a short discussion. We read a little bit. We had a little chanting in the beginning, and maybe we'll just end with a kirtan because we end at 7. Is that a good idea? Yes. What? Devotees in Ukraine? All the people in Ukraine. All the people in Ukraine. Javi Prabhu, would you lead us in a kirtan? And we dedicate. Okay. Kinshina Prabhu, since you're our special guest tonight and Javi just pointed you out, it would be a great honor if you would lead us in a nine minute and 59 second kirtan. <laughs> Yes, Prabhu. We have a tiny little harmonium for you up here too. Uh, I had this question since the beginning of this class, uh, and you kept on speaking on the same theme. Uh, in the Chaitanya Chaitamrita, we uh, um, we see, or rather, in Prasim of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we see Shrivas Thakur. Uh, when Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asks him, "What do you do to maintain yourself?" He claps thrice. So. I won't get into the past time now, but uh, the idea being that that is the finest example of dependence on Krishna. So how do we relate to that? If we try to do things like that, we mean, meaning I, so it, it, it may not be the, the right thing for me to do. How do I know what, what, is, what exactly is the level of surrender that I should practice? Yeah, it's a, an important question, and it goes to putting together a, a a complete, a complete and successful life, uh, which uh, requires guidance. It's a life of guidance. The Varnashrama system helps us to go through the different phases of life during which we'll have various outlooks about the world and helps us to stay engaged in Krishna consciousness as much as possible at each phase of our life. And Krishna himself mentions in the Bhagavatam, tavat karmana kurivita nan nirvidyata yavata matkata shravanadova shradhyavana jayate. Until one comes to, uh, you should wait until you have uh, a full taste for hearing and chanting uh, to ease off on the other uh, aspects of doing your duty in the world. And um, that, how does one realize the, the level of that? By being attentive. First of all, by being as close to the edge as possible. The edge means like, you know, you stay close to the edge so Krishna can push you off anytime if he wishes like that. And, and so we, we do our duty, we, we do what we have to do according to the obligation that we have. And as we continue, to hear and chant, then there's a way in which the, the ratio changes. Therefore, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says, Apichet sudracharo bhajate mamananya bhak sadhareva samantavya samyag vyavasito hisa. Prabhupada gives an explanation of this in the 17th verse of the Sri Shapanishad, in which he explains how Bhaktivinotakur says this verse relates to the ways in which devotees start off with a preponderance of attachment to the material world. But as they continue to practice Krishna consciousness, the ratio gradually changes. And one becomes 
more and more dependent on Krishna and more and more uh, convinced that uh, Krishna is my sole protector and maintainer. And uh, as one does, it's good to, to, to uh, venture into that incrementally as much as possible because then uh, one can help Krishna. You could do it the easy way or the hard way. Which, which one do you prefer? So then uh, Giri Rajmarsh told a story that uh, <clears throat> is slightly related. He said in Mumbai, there's a uh, young man who was helping to translate Prabhupada's books into to Marathi. And his father, the young man's father, the translator's father, uh, would sometimes also visit Prabhupada along with his son. And he had a habit of smoking. So he had uh, asked Prabhupada, uh, he had told Prabhupada he, he meant to give up the habit, but when Prabhupada asked him a couple times later that had, had he been successful, he said, no, I need your special mercy. And then Prabhupada said, yes, you can get special mercy. He said, it means that Krishna will make you so miserable that you'll be forced to give it up. So would you like the special mercy? And as Giri Rajmarsh tells the story, he goes, no, 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 Prabhupada, <laughs> I'll do it myself. So it's an exciting life to actually put oneself on the edge and, and, and try to come as close to that as possible in, in every circumstance. And it's on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why one of the reasons I think Prabhupada said that the replacement for gambling Anybody here an inveterate gambler? Nobody wants to admit it. 5% of the population are addicted to gambling. So, so anyway, there's a, there's a replacement for gambling, Prabhupada said, that you edge your way towards surrender to Krishna. Because then you, see, you have that same feeling that, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen now? You know, what, who, you know, who's going to feed the kids now that I lost the house? This kind of thing. Uh, so we never lose anything by surrendering to Krishna. I wanted to point that out. And also, it's all gain and no risk, surrendering to Krishna. But it still feels like it because I have a vested interest in the material world. So there's nothing actually even more exciting than obliterating one by one or incrementally or all at once, if you wish, the misconception that I'm, I'm dependent on the material world. And when people do it, in fact, when you go to an initiation ceremony and someone comes to the level where they say, I'm going to vow to follow four regular principles for the rest of my life. And we're like, what? You're kidding me. You're not really going to do that, are you? And then I'm going to chant at least 16 rounds a day. How are you going to do that? That, so they actually sit down in front of everybody and they'll take a microphone and say it out loud. And everybody who's watching is like, what just happened here? That's exciting. That's what life is all about for human life. Otherwise, you're just sitting on a plateau getting fat. And, you know, fat in the head, fat in the belly. It, it, it's actually a, a miserable... Uh, <laughs> Condition of life full of cognitive dissonance. You know you should be doing the right thing. The other day on one of our bhakti community calls, this uh, young woman who uh, had joined Krishna consciousness during the pandemic through our program, she was saying how she had given up eating meat. 
And she said, I always knew that it was the right thing to do. But I just, I just, I was lazy and I didn't have the courage to actually face my attachment and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she said, now that I've done it, because of the strength of, that she was getting from association with devotees saying, yeah, it's the right thing, you should do it. You know, it's come to higher consciousness. She said, now all my friends, I've, I see how they're in denial. It, it, you know, we're conscious beings. We know what the right thing to do is. So when we actually take even the tiniest step towards doing the right thing, that cognitive dissonance lowers and we feel, ah, relief. You know, Brahma Puta Prasanatma, Nashochatina, no more hankering, lamentation. Now I feel happy because I'm doing the right thing. So um, we know intuitively what the right thing is, but we need a lot of help from the Shastra and from the sadhus and from our gurus to keep nudging us along the path because it's really hard to get out of the material world. In fact, the prayers personified Vedas say, it's the most glorious of all of Krishna's pastimes to save one soul from this world. And it takes a whole bunch of people working full time, 24 hours a day, to get, convince one soul to get out. So one of my friends back in the old days, he said, it's like talking a dog off a meat wagon. You didn't get that? Dogs on a meat wagon, they're like, come on, boy, get off. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, need, we need the help and we need the guidance and we should be very attentive that's one of the reasons that we chant japa and we, we read it's called swadhyaya there's a way that we're self-examining when we chant japa we can actually look at ourselves and say how am I doing you know it's one thing other people tell us how you're doing how they think you're doing but you know you know how you're doing and also you can recognize cognitive dissonance and you can also know by super soul's uh, uh, assistance what's causing it. And then you can decide that I'm going to change this because I don't want to live in cognitive dissonance. Om Tat Sat. <laughs>